Welcome to the Heroes at Home podcast, where we believe heroes can thrive both at work and at home. This podcast is for those who stand watch while we sleep, who run into buildings while others run out, for those who deploy to hard places to have hard fights, and for the families that support them. Through candid conversation, we will discuss the side of things that don't get glorified in the media, what happens when they come home. We'll be talking with heroes from all walks of life and their partners, children, friends, and beyond, so together we can build a stronger family. I'm Noel Metter, CEO, joined by my co-host, Kenny Thomas. Kenny, it's been several weeks since we released Scott's story, and this is the follow-on episode of Susan. And I'm so glad that we did it this way because one, it would have been like a two-hour episode if we tried to get both of them in there. But two, I think more importantly, Susan and what she talks about in this episode is often the missing link to actually seeing a couple walk this journey successfully. Her perspective, what she experienced, she really does just a phenomenal job of kind of opening up the world on the betrayal side and what it looks like to walk through betrayal. So without any further ado, let's jump into her, her interview. Well, welcome back. And for those who are just tuning into this episode, I just want to throw out there, you're going to want to go back to the previous episode with Scott Rankin, where we interview him on his journey, his story, because what we're going to be talking about with his spouse, Susan, probably won't make a ton of sense if you haven't already heard that one. Although I will tell you what she's going to be sharing is completely different than what Scott shared last week um, or the weeks prior. So if you haven't had a chance to listen to that, I would highly encourage it. It's an amazing story about just what he experienced, what he has walked through, not only as a police officer, but as a husband and ultimately finding in this journey, the healing that he needed for his soul. So today we're going to be focusing on Susan. And on the other side of this is understanding what does it look like when you're marriage literally is blown up. When you get that ultimatum bomb that's dropped around your husband is having an affair and her reaction to it. So I'm just going to, I'm going to turn right over to you, Susan. I appreciate you being here, willing to share. I know that for many, this side of the story oftentimes is missed and there's a lot of questions around it. So maybe start with when you found out that Scott was having an affair what was the emotion, the feelings for you around that? And what ultimately led to kind of the next step? Yeah, thanks, Noel. I was in complete shock. Uh, Scott had been acting very different for months preceding this. And I was trying to get him to talk to me. There was just a real obvious shift. Like one minute we were fine. And then the next minute we weren't fine. And so over those months, I was just like, this doesn't make sense. And I would try to talk to him. You wouldn't talk to me. So, you know, we finally did sit down with our our former pastor and Scott started to reveal some truth. And I say some truth because it wasn't all the truth. And so just the days preceding that, I was in shock. I was very angry. Four days after this information was dropped in my lap, my friend took me to a rage room <laughs> and I smashed a bunch of things. But I don't feel like that was my highest rage, to be honest, because that night I came home and was asking more questions and learned more truth. And so it was really a confusing time for me. And, you know, I asked Scott, I said, I need to have a separation from you. I need to just have some time to myself and process this information. I asked him, 
I want to know who knows what. And so before you leave the house, I want you to write me a document of all the stuff you did, who knows what. I didn't know what I was asking. And so when he left that night, he left me a document. And when I read that document, there were more lies. And I just, I was done. I really felt like the world crumbled beneath my feet. And I was just, I was very, very lost and in a tremendous amount of pain. And that's, I just tried to take each day as it, as it came because I didn't even know what was going on with me. And what I now know is I was experiencing a huge amount of trauma. Yeah. So let me just go back a moment, wind the clock back. You guys were married for how long? 22, almost 22 years when this came out. Okay. So 22 years. And basically in those 22 years, kind of leading up, there was a couple of months where you're starting to feel like things were off. Is that right? That kind of pushed you to say, I need to know more. I mean, is that essentially how this came out in terms of the reveal and kind of the dropping of the atomic bomb? Was you pushing to know what's going on with Scott? Is that right? Yeah, there was a real evident shift in his behavior. April of 2017, he had gone on a trip, he came home. And it was like, after that, it was just like, like Scott was there, but the lights were off. And, and it just got worse and worse as those next couple months came about. So Scott, I mean, just being in the side of working with couples and having dealt with couples in affairs, it's kind of unlikely for someone to be pushed to, hey, let's reveal, right? They just keep concealing, keep hiding, keep living that elusive lie. What caused you to say, yeah, it's time to reveal. It's time to kind of let it all out there. I mean, obviously, Susan's pressing you for it, but there seemed like there would be an opportunity to just say, I'm just tired. I'm just, you know, dealing with work or whatever. What was it that pushed you to basically revealing? Yeah. Well, I'd love to tell you that I did it on my own free will, but I promise you that's not the case. Okay. You know, it was a full court press. um, And ultimately, so much of my heart was ice. It was completely stone. It was gone. But there was just a little piece. And when I saw my wife in such undeniable pain, it was just enough to pierce through that heart of stone that was like, I really don't want to go to this meeting with pastor because I already know, but I got to go because I can't see this person that I know I still love in there somewhere. But my heart was stone, bro. It was, it was, uh, gotcha. Yeah. Gotcha. And I think we were at a point where I was trying to talk to him over these few months and he just, he wouldn't like talk to me. And there was just a lot of, I would say, manipulation going on where he started to blame me. And then he started to say things to me like he wasn't in love with me. And I'm like, where did that come from? You know, so for me and my, it wasn't making sense to me. And I was trying to talk to him. So I was at a point where if you're not going to talk to me, then I don't know what to do. Like I, I kind of came to my own crossroads. Like if this person isn't going to talk to me, then I, d- I don't know where to, how to move forward. What I'm hearing is there are some of the signs that led up to this manipulation, being checked out, a sense of just lack of connection, obviously, between the two of you really pushed you to a place where like you're drawing a boundary now and saying, I need to know what's going on. Or it sounded like, was the ultimatum kind of separation? We're going to go our separate ways at that time or kind of what was going through your mind on that? That was not in my vocabulary yet. It was just really wanting to try to get through to him because 
I knew something was wrong. And as much as he acted, I mean, he started pulling away from me, but we were still like best friends. We still spent time together, although it was a bit confusing for me because I knew something was going on. Like we still genuinely liked each other and cared for each other. So right before I finally got him to sit down and talk, that's when I started hearing the things like the lack of connection and all these. And I'm just like, what? You know, this doesn't make sense to me. Yeah. And, and I apologize. I'm, I'm like hanging out here at this point in the story because this is where <laughs> we okay. get a ton of questions. Like there's this suspicious thing, this radar is going off, my relational radar. And this is oftentimes the spouse who knows that there's something going on, but they don't know the the gravity of it yet. Right. And so I think knowing what those signs are at the same time that can work against someone, right. Where they are jumping to massive conclusions as they listen to this. Well, my husband's having an affair when in fact, no, he's not, you know what I mean? So I guess there's that, that fine line between my relational radars going off and I do need to press, but not to the point where I'm accusing. If I don't know for sure, obviously your guys' story is one that the power of transparency has played out in your favor, but it sounds like the story wasn't necessarily like it was full disclosure. It was trickle truth going on. So tell me a little bit about that process for you, Susan. Like, yes, you pressed, you got what you needed initially, but then there was this trickle truth where more was revealed. How did that play into the trauma? It was huge. Knowing what I know now, that's exactly what you're not supposed to do. Once a little bit of information came out, going to see the professionals to help walk you through like a therapeutic disclosure would have been a better scenario. But obviously, I didn't know what I was dealing with. And I just pressed for more information. And like I said, once I got that document, I was just done. I mean, I, my head, I was pacing in the dark. (laughs) And I just couldn't, I couldn't reasonably think. And so I was just in this trauma state and just unsure of what was real in my life. Because obviously, the person who I had been with for 22 years, I had no clue who that person was. And so it just it altered my entire life, because I was even questioning like who I was at this point, because if I don't know this person who is the closest person to me, then what is real in my life? Was that at that point in the journey where you basically said, we need to separate physically? Does it sound like you needed that space to be able to process this? Uh, Is that right? Yeah. So I, I had asked for like a two week trial separation to get some clarity. And that's when I asked for the document. So once he left that night and I read that document, The next day I told him that we were done, that I was no longer going to be in this marriage and that we were divorcing. Yeah. So tell me what transpired from that point to, well, not necessarily where we're at today, but I mean, at least bringing you back to saying, Hey, I'm willing to work on this because I, I think in most people's minds, you're done. Like this is, there's no need for anything else other than the divorce that's ahead of us and sorting out, you know, the affairs of our our lives and and going on separate directions. So what was it that helped bring you back to a place of doing the hard work that we've talked about in the last interview? Yeah, I'd say first off, it was finding one person that I could trust to talk to. And luckily, I had a very good friend in my life who had walked through something similar a couple of years prior that I could go to her and tell her this information. And so just being able to like say, this is what's going on with me to have somebody there supporting me, because this is a big deal. This is a lot of information. 
So having that support and knowing that no matter what was going on, that I needed to go get some help. And so I proceeded to see a therapist and start talking to a therapist about what was going on. I think I was still in denial with what Scott was dealing with, because although I had this information of all of this stuff, I was still thinking it was an excuse that the whole addiction part of it was just an excuse to say, okay, this is why I cheated on you and using that as an excuse. But two months into our separation, I came out of that denial because I had found, you know, just some more information. And really that's when I had an awakening that it it wasn't just an excuse to cheat. It was a real mental issue and became educated on what that looked like. You know, I went to my therapist and I said, Hey, I think my husband has this addiction. And she said, here, read this book. And it was really reading that book and just the first few pages of criteria that these people who struggle with this, you know, Scott met a lot of that criteria because of his childhood and the things that he walked through the trauma. And so it, it made a little sense to me about what I was dealing with. It still didn't justify what happened. And I wasn't in a place to where I could work on the marriage. It was just knowledge for me to kind of know what what happened and what I was dealing with. Wow. What was the book? I'm curious. It's called Out of the Shadows by Dr. Patrick Carnes. For you, the betrayal obviously just, I mean, that's obviously something that was completely unbeknownst to you, going to be something you're walking through. Was the counselor fundamentally a part of that? Or was it this person that you were able to link up with who had walked through it? How did you get through that betrayal? Because I think that's where most people get stuck. They think about the scenario and they said, the betrayal is too deep. It's too painful, excruciating. I'm not moving forward. Uh, What did that look like for you on that front? I think first I want to acknowledge it was a personal decision to know that whether I was going to be single moving forward or stay married, I had to get through this no matter what to take care of myself and to be there for my kids. And then it was finding out, I started Googling books and finding resources to put a name to what I was experiencing. I had never heard of betrayal trauma before. I mean, I had heard about addiction, sexual addiction before, but I never really accepted it as a thing until now I'm dealing with it, right? And acknowledging like, hey, this is a thing. And so it was really getting educated and finding those resources and and getting into one of the first things that I did besides going to a therapist was I joined a pure desire group called Betrayal and Beyond. And that really helped me understand what I was experiencing, what I was going through, and really started doing kind of the deep dive work into what I was experiencing. And it actually kind of jumped into things, traumas in my life, where we would talk about what came from my family of origin and, you know, do that deep work in that in that group. One thought that I had was just in terms of connecting with that betrayal trauma and being in that group where you're understanding more of the context of your own childhood. Did you see it, any of that kind of playing out and why some of Scott's decisions were made? Yeah, definitely. Seeing how when you don't experience a mother's love, how you don't love yourself. So how could you show love to someone else? I mean, I always felt connected to him, but 
because of what he walked through, he was coping, right? Trying to cope with that pain with something. And it was attention seeking from me, from other people, needed validation. And so I, I think that over time, because he never dealt with some of the things in his life, it just turned into this where he was constantly trying to achieve and to seek validation from other people. And it just got worse and worse as the years went on. And I now know it was nothing that I did. There is nothing that I could have done. And that's something that is hard because when you think of if somebody loved me, they would never do that to me. And so that's the hardest part to reconcile when you have been obliterated by betrayal trauma is really coming to that understanding that there was nothing that I did or didn't do that caused this. Like Scott brought this into our marriage. Gosh, man, I want to camp out there for a moment because I think that what you just said is such a huge statement. So often folks see it as it's what I didn't do or what I did do. When in reality, it had nothing to do with them. It had everything to do with what the choices of their partner and being able to separate those two things. It's really, really tough, right? Because then it leads to, well, how could he ever do that if he loved me, right? I mean, that's, that's, if you keep those things linked, that's the association, right? That's the path you have to go down. Yeah, that's really profound. And I guess for listeners right now that are in your shoes, what would you say was the process of time? Because I, I, I'm, I'm guessing this wasn't like a, a weekend group or a week-long experience. This was something longer. But maybe talk about the duration of being able to work through this. So the particular group that I started is a 10 to 12-month program. It has a specific curriculum, which is amazing to help navigate that betrayal trauma. But also going through my own process was like a four-month process where I finally started thinking clearly. I knew what I was dealing with. I had tools to use on how to deal with triggers, how to breathe through it, how to really cope with what I now know that I was experiencing PTSD symptoms. Any one of our listeners that have had some of those symptoms, that's exactly what I was experiencing. And so being able to name what was happening to me and use the tools that I had learned to deal with that really helped stabilize me. And it took, I'd say it took a good maybe three months, three to four months for me to finally feel like, oh, I'm like feeling myself again. And, you know, that was at which point where Scott and I were, were talking about dividing assets and moving forward with a divorce. And I, I really kind of came out of my own denial of wanting to push him away and I really came to the realization like, hey, this person's really been doing the work and is different, at which point I felt like maybe I could try to work on this because he had shown me like he had done all this work and that I could try to work on the marriage. And what did that look like? Because I think that's another key piece to this. He actually was doing the work. So many stay in this kind of, well, let's just call it what it is, abusive relationship. Uh, They stay in it because they think magically things are going to change and he's going to be better. She's going to be better. But that's not true. There was actually a defining thing that you could see in his life. So what was that? It was a consistency, even though we weren't living together, um, the way that he was showing up and the way that he was talking to me. And I could just see a difference. This is what I tell like the women that I work with too, is 
you will see a clear shift in the way that they behave and the way that they show up. And, you know, this particular evening, we had this long conversation and I, I still didn't think I could get past what he did until at which point he said, okay, Susan, if you need to divorce in order to move on with your life, I will do all the work. I'll file the papers. I'll do everything. And it was in that moment where it was like God spoke to me and was like, no, this isn't what you want. And I literally could barely get the words out to even say that I would try to work on the marriage. I didn't promise anything. I said, I'm terrified to say this and put myself out there, but I will try. And so it was really one, voicing that, and then two, taking it day by day. And what I mean by that is getting together with his therapist and, and you know, all the books that I had been reading, all the knowledge that I gained. Okay, the first thing we needed to do was establish boundaries. I didn't even know what a boundary meant, but I know that we needed them in our marriage in order for me to feel safe and move forward. And so that was the first thing that we did. You know, we met with his therapist and said, okay, what boundaries are we going to put in place? Is that something you're willing to share? Because I think that's a huge piece to this, right? What are the boundaries? Yeah. Yeah. So for me, it wasn't just boundaries with Scott's behavior. It was my own personal boundaries. One of the things that I realized when my whole life blew up and I started really working on myself was I kind of lost myself in our relationship. And so I would, instead of rocking the boat and bringing something up, I would just ignore it. Or I would show up in this passive aggressive manner where I would ignore it, ignore it, ignore it. Something would set me off and then I would be super like explosive. And so I think one of my first boundaries I wrote was I will not engage in passive aggressive behavior. And I prefer to ask a question or state my needs and be very honest with myself because I knew that moving forward in our marriage that it definitely couldn't be the way that it was. And honestly, I I told Scott I wanted to officially divorce him so that we could start over. <laughs> and so, But that's just a metaphor. We didn't want to do that legally because why put yourself through all that money and documentation? So, But literally, our marriage had to start over brand new. And so in order to have that happen, we had to really set some new boundaries and a foundation to move forward. So I know that this was a process of building trust, but how does trust come back into a relationship like yours? How do you measure that? How do you know that you can trust again? Yeah, that's very tricky and it doesn't happen overnight. And what I learn and tell all of the women that I work with is you really have to watch someone's actions Their words do not matter because their words have just been this for so many years. And so it's really seeing the action and what it takes to really show up each day. And so that's what builds the trust is to see, you know, that he is a different person willing to do anything. So willing to do anything is see a therapist, um, commit to a daily check-in with each other, put accountability software on computers, cell phones, check in with me, let me have access to his phone, computer. I mean, basically full transparency. Yeah. One of the things that I've seen in this scenario is that the power play, it's a differential 
And then what I mean by that is the one who has been committing the adultery, there's been a power trip that's been being played. And when this thing goes to reveal, the power structure shifts, right? Where now betrayed spouse has the power and it becomes just as confusing and toxic because then it flips the other way where now they have the power and this one who actually had the affair is now sitting in a place of almost like a parent-child relationship. What would you say? Because obviously these are all very toxic, unhealthy ways to move forward. And no growth is generally a a part of that. But what would you say to someone who's trying to figure out the, the power structure here on the other side of betrayal? I think one question that you have to ask yourself as the betrayed partner is, what do I need to feel safe? And what are the intentions behind it? And so I think because during that four months of separation, where I really was working on myself, I was able to work through some of the pain and hurt I had so that I transformed myself and Scott had been transforming himself on his own. So when we did come back together, we were in a much healthier place, probably our whole marriage as far as like what we were learning about how to communicate and our own feelings and all the junk that we brought into our marriage. And so it was really for me having my own awareness to be able to say, okay, this is what I need moving forward from you. And obviously going to get help through uh, professionals who help walk couples through this, because there is a process that happens that will get you hopefully to a place where we are now, if you're willing to do the work. No, I wanted to jump in real quick, just uh, because I think it's a great question. It's not a power struggle. It's a reframing of my uh, perspective. Let me give you an example. Boundaries. For someone that struggles with behavior that I had, boundaries don't exist, right? You blow right through them and they can feel like they're uh, almost punitive in nature, right? So those boundaries don't exist. But when I begin to understand that boundaries are not punitive, boundaries protect love. Mm -hmm. It changes perspective. It changes everything. This is no longer a a perspective of, oh man, you're trying to control me because you need to know where I'm at. You're trying to control me because you, uh, there's accountability uh, software. No, it is, it is a shift of we're protecting love. We're protecting our marriage. You put boundaries around what you value. And so when I begin to shift that mentality and that mindset, this isn't a we're on the the opposite sides fighting. This is a, hey, we are coming together on this oneness journey of love together. We're fighting it together. And yes, there are going to be hurts and pains that come up that need to be acknowledged, validated. I got to learn empathy and all these things, but she's not the enemy and I'm not the enemy ever. Gosh, man, I'm so glad that you shared that because that was profound in the sense of what I think that power struggle it ultimately is around the punitive side versus seeing it in the light of what you just described. So, man, that was that was really, really good. <laughs> it's really good. Yeah, he did a great job. <laughs> it took a while to get that one. I promise you that <laughs> nugget was really hard. So I know that there's so many more details that we could press into, but I, it sounds like this journey has been about four years. Is that right, Susan? Yeah, I will be coming up on five years. Yeah. Okay. In August is kind of when everything blew up. Yeah. 
And Scott, I know that you alluded to in the last interview that this work is ongoing for you. Is that true of the work that you're doing, Susan, for yourself when it comes to betrayal? Or was there like a place in time where it's like, you know what, I've healed. I'm good. I don't need to continue to press into the betrayal side of, of the relationship. We went to counseling together. We had our own therapist walking us through this journey. We went on a marriage weekend that deals with affairs and really learned like how to communicate, did some really good work, continued to have a marriage group with that for, I mean, we still have the group now, but we really worked through a year curriculum with that particular place. And so it's really kind of jumping in and, you know, doing that hard work and really realizing how we wanted to be as a couple of very healthy new dynamics. Yeah. Hey, Noel, on that point, real quick, I think it's important for people to understand this too, though. That can feel like it's all burdensome. When you communicate that and you hadn't walked it out for years, it can feel like, oh man, I got to do this and then this and then this. There comes a time when it's not a burden anymore. It's a way of doing life. And it is, it's the reason we're here, Noel. Mm -hmm. We wouldn't be talking to you right now. We wouldn't be here. If it didn't become a passion where we could take something and truly honestly believe that the enemy is defeated by the power of our testimony by using it. Right. And we have done that in so many different modalities. So it's no longer this place where, oh, man, I have to do this. This is where our greatest pain is is now our greatest purpose. And it's a passion and it allows us to grow closer together. To me, it's really important to communicate to whomever might be going and looking at this going, man, I'm standing at the bottom of a mountain, bro. And I'm not even really trying to do all that. At some point, it'll become a journey that is not a burden anymore. It is, you realize, you wake up one day, everything I really want in life is at the top. I see to answer it a little bit more as far as the betrayal part is it takes it takes some time to really get through. You know, I've done some work with this organization called AppSats. And they have really been the founders of this betrayal trauma. And there's like three stages. There's the safety and stabilization stage is phase one. Then you have phase two, which is grief and mourning, like grieving what you thought you had in your marriage and really kind of going through that process. And then the third stage is post-traumatic growth. And I'd say that we've been in post-traumatic growth, I'd say for probably two years, I would say that you know, sometimes like when I think of what's happened to us, I don't have a lot of triggers anymore. I don't have those really strong emotions. Like I might have a thought that comes into my head, like acknowledges like, yes, this happened to you. And I'm like, yep, that happened to me. We're in a different place now. I have some emotions if I need to. And then I I just acknowledge it. And then I just try to release it. And just being able to do that over the last almost five years, I've come to a place where it it doesn't affect me as as it did before but it is a good reminder like this is where you were and you don't ever want to be there again thank you for defining those stages because i think you know what we're talking about is change it's inevitable when truth is like this is dropped into a relationship it's going to force change there is a force change and sometimes we think of transition as just singular but it's not there's actually stages to any transition that we go through right there's an ending there's a neutral zone where you're talking about grief and then there's a new beginning which you know i love the way they're defining that post-traumatic growth right because you're still dealing with the remnants but it's not holding you back from growing into something more beautiful than what you started with so 
thank you for outlining that for our listeners. I think that's super important. My closing thought, and Kenny, feel free to jump in here as well. I always got to jump in. Why, why is it like, I always feel like I got to interrupt to, to get a point in there. I feel like I'm taking, you know, just all I mean, the, all the questions here. Notes you have, Noel. Like, <laughs> seriously. I, I'm like, there's all kinds of things I could so jump I, in. I look as Kenny. Kenny's like the ace in the hole. It's the eleventh uh, inning, and he's just going to knock it out of the park. And uh, we're just going to bring him in to uh, make sure that we win the game at the end here. So I, I've just been doing all the questions, but I'm waiting for you, Kenny, just to jump in here. Yeah, just grand in. slam, buddy. Let's do it. Yeah, I'm the, I'm the Ed McMahon of this talk <laughs> show. I just laugh at your jokes. There's a couple things that jumped out at me that I heard you say, and. Where this one has gone a little bit more in depth is than most. There's a theme that runs through all of these interviews we've done. And there's there's things like we hear the word, you, you've got to be vulnerable. you got to be willing to go and do the work. You cannot do this alone. You have to have someone that will walk the path with you. There has to be an element of faith. And then there's some things that, that I heard you say today that we've had some pretty wise people on here that didn't even come to that quite of that understanding where what jumped out at me was I found out I'd stopped blaming myself is what you essentially said. It wasn't something I did that caused this. But let me tell you what you did do. You did lean back into it and you did this incredibly difficult task of doing the hard work and finding just where Scott had to renew himself and died himself. You too had to renew yourself. It doesn't one, let me just stop on that point that like what you did was exceptional and it's what's probably why you're a success story. And the other thing that what you did was you had to kind of, you started it all over again is what I heard you guys say. And this renewal process is something that most people don't understand and realize is part of the process. You know, we think, okay, well, we got to, we know we forgive and we forget. It just takes time. It takes renewal. Once you forgive somebody, now you have to renew the relationship in order for it to become a strong, healthy, foundational thing that's going to work. And I think where you guys are at is right there. And that is, it's such a solid example of the gold standard for which our listeners can find comfort in. Like, I'm, I'm so proud of you guys. I, I'm like, yes. <laughs> so thank you for sharing that. And then I think that the other thing I heard was right there at the end. Well, I threw all my notes up in the air when I got excited. Um, Scott, you're, you're like a machine of mic drop moments. I think you guys need to write a book that's called Changing the Cosmos. What a great line that is. Mm. And explain what that means and, and how you guys have that power if you're willing to do a very difficult task of renewing these relationships and getting through, because the stories are as, as old as, as the Bible times. You know, everybody's, we've seen betrayal, we've seen trust get lost, we've seen people crumble, we've seen people not think that they have what it takes. You show me a hero, I will write you a tragedy. And in my mind, what you guys have done is an incredible story. You've climbed the mountain. You're up on the top of the mountain. You're the city of light that everybody can see. And there isn't one bit of darkness that will ever be able to blank you out. So I, I just am so happy that we've got you 
here to share your story for a second. So thank you. Wow. <laughs> man, why you got to make a brother cry? That's, that's right amazing. On TV, man. Come on now. <laughs> no, I tell you, that just, you know, that, I mean, that's the truth. And obviously it has forever changed me on a, the deepest level possibly could. And I'm just incredibly grateful to be here, but bigger than that. There And there's hope. Like if I can walk through this, I mean, at first I didn't think I could. And I was like, nope, can't do it. But until I saw a way, there's hope. Because if I can get through it, anyone else that has gone through this definitely can. Because there's resources. You're not alone. There's people that can help walk you through this. As long as you're willing to do some work, that gets worth it. I can tell you about a year a year after this all came about, we were we took a trip for his birthday and we were walking on the beach and we just had this amazing conversation. And I started crying because I thought if I didn't try to work on this, I would have missed this amazing relationship that we have now. I can't forget all of the past, right? You can't you can't forget it, but I've accepted it and I'm I've able to move through it. And now we have something just amazing that we didn't have 22 years into our marriage. I say we really started probably what the last five years. I I feel like we've started our marriage. Well, what we've done is not, it's not lost to me that it's changing generations too. our children. Yeah. How we showed up and granted, I know for the longest time I didn't do it well, but by being open, honest, vulnerable, showing my wounds and scars and my weakness. My children get to see an example of what it really means to love, to what it really means to to change the script, to not pass on the same things that were passed on from generation to generation. And at some point, you got to draw a line in the sand and decide if you're going to be the one that changes the trajectory of your entire lineage. Well said. I just want to close by saying thank you to both of you. But Susan, I I think one part of your story that really stood out to me was in your crisis, in your moment of revelation of all this that went down. It seemed like, and I could be wrong on this, but it seemed like there was this this person who you were able to connect with in that moment, who had walked your future steps, who was able to be there in that moment to console to comfort, but also to define what that was going to look like. And I, and I, as I heard you tell this, I wonder if that's one of the most critical incidences that needs to transpire for someone who is going through betrayal right now is to find that person who has walked the, the, the road that is ahead of them. Cause it's not easy. It's going to be painful. It's going to be a lot of two steps forward, one step back. And I know that you've gone on to actually step into that role for many. And so I think you've already given us permission to, in the show notes, to put your information on your website, how people can get a hold of you, because I do think this is a critical part. Like if you don't have that person who can, in the moment of your just absolute worst, say it's going to be okay regardless if you stay or leave, you're going to be okay. We're going to get through this together. So thank you for the the work that you're doing now and turning back around and saying, I'm here for so many others that are having to walk through this and not do it alone. So thank you. You're welcome. Yeah, it's definitely the first number one thing is getting a support person that you can trust, that you can talk to, because having that, especially those first you know, few days and weeks of walking this out, you don't even know what's happening to you. And so having someone that you can rely on to help you through it is, 
is critical. Thanks, you guys. The show notes will have a lot of the details of the resources available that Susan has walked through that she's now working with other clients on. But again, just want to say thank you. And until next time, keep living your guys' story. Keep changing the cosmos because it is so needed out there. I see what you did there, Noel. Good job. (laughs) God bless. See ya. See you guys. Bye. I'll tell you, coming out of listening to Susan's interview, some major takeaways for me was her ability to define betrayal. That's such a big word. For many, it's just, it's (laughs) betrayal equals pain. Betrayal equals divorce. I mean, you put that equation together often, but she actually had a different definition to betrayal. Betrayal is, there is a loss, there is a ending, there is a I mean, what we truly think of as betrayal where, man, my whole world's been blown up, but then it goes into grief, which is the second phase, this idea of grief and really processing that loss before you get to the third stage, which was post-traumatic growth. And I thought, man, that often is missed in these conversations around betrayal. This had phases. There was a process that she worked through. If you got anything out of this, leave a comment because there's many that I think are on the side of Susan in these stories that they just see the only way forward is I got to, I got to get out of this relationship. I got a divorce. And that wasn't the case for her. So a couple of insights for you, Kenny, and things that we can take from this uh, interview with Susan. Yeah, I think the idea that she moved forward was just the extraordinary part of this story because too many times you've seen it in all the couples counseling you've done and you get one again with that common theme that we see of success stories that we're talking to. She found somebody she could walk with that had done it. All of our, you know, our girlfriends and our friends are like, you know, screw that guy, screw her. You got, you know, you gotta get out of that thing. You gotta do what's best for you. Right. Like we hear that they're all, they all mean well, but it's because they don't know that there's another option. They've not seen the success. They've not been witness to it. And they don't know that it can be done. And people who know that, that there's a solution to it will be the people that will move towards the difficult task. And, and what, I, what I love about Susan's story was that she, was, she had that kind of moment where she realized any of us that have been betrayed, what did I do? And you blame yourself. And that's with any loss. And what she realized was it wasn't anything that I did. And when she had that kind of acknowledgement and forgave herself, okay, it wasn't something I did. Then she could start looking at Scott in a different way. He came ill-equipped to this marriage to begin with. He had that baggage that was a lot more, that had a lot more repercussions than, than I could have ever dreamed. And I'm going to move towards that and help with it. And then, so then she gets into this step process where what I love what you said was the post-traumatic growth with the word being the growth. Mm-hmm. You know, we all think, we, we think that, okay, when we've forgiven somebody that that's it, you know, we forgive, we forget, we either, we move on or whatever. There's always another part to the, it's called the renewal of the relationship. It's that growth. Now she's, they started from some, they went from, they're starting from scratch and they have the option of making it what it could be, should be, and what they want it to be. And that's why Noel and I are here today 
and why we're committing this time and energy to making these things and is because that place is an amazing place. It's worth the extra work. It's worth the climb up the hillside. It's worth the crawl through the muck. And their story is just, it's like I tried to explain to her, it's they're the light on the top of the hill that no darkness will ever extinguish. It's just such a powerful and wonderful story. And you're like, well, how can it be wonderful with a story of cheating and traveling? Just like what we've been talking about in all these episodes, you show me a heroic story and I will write you a god-awful tragedy. You have to come through it all to get to the other side. Well, I'm going to camp on that illustration of the light up on the top of the hill. I would say the thing that came to my mind in hearing both sides of their story is that they're also a lighthouse and they are shining the path for so many others who otherwise would be like literally just in the dark, fumbling, trying to figure this out, and ultimately probably being very unsuccessful in any chance of reconciliation, which I think our stance is that not every relationship should be saved. Not every relationship should try to contend towards repairing. But man, if there is an opportunity for that, and if there is a process that could be fashioned towards betrayal and affair, they, in so many ways, shed light on that. So thankful for both those guys and really their story being such a light for so many others. Yeah, that's a great... Look at you, Noel. I'm so proud. I'm of just nailing it. Home, it's it's you I know like this house. is not true of Noel. Like coming up with these things on the fly. This is just inspiration from Kenny being yeah, in who's the, room. the songwriter in this group here. But let's look at you. I'd like to camp out on that and say they're the lighthouse shining the way for so many others lost at sea. Let's steer <laughs> this ship of fools back to the shore. You know, why don't you just pull out your guitar and finish us off? You know, just pause. <laughs> Here we go. Let's just finish this off. What song here? We got. It's hanging on the wall. All right. Uh, all right. Until next time. Every time I come through this, I feel like I've I've, I've learned a whole lot, and I'm going to go downstairs and and witness to Heidi about how grateful I am. Seriously, that she puts up with me. <laughs> totally. That is so true, brother. I mean, it's like, oh my gosh, I I have it too good. To be true. So, yeah. All right. Until next time, we're signing off. See you guys. <laughs>